Yeah, it's a good good evening. <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, we haven't been here in what two three weeks, whatever it's been. It's always weird to come back on the third Sunday because I haven't seen you in so long. How you been? Been good? Yeah. Up up down up down good good. Kind of like this, up, down, up, down. I like it, up, down, up, down. That's good. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk about uh, John 4, John 4, which is the story about the Samaritan woman. And uh, so I'm going to open us in prayer, and then we'll talk about this this Samaritan woman. Talk. I don't know what God's going to do, because I'm just going to kind of let God lead us through the, through the Scripture tonight. And so that that's always fun for me, because I'm as surprised as you are is what comes out of my mouth. So why don't we pray and then we'll get started. Father, just uh, thanks for a great night of being here. Um, I just ask you to be with these ladies. Search their hearts for whatever it is that uh, is uh, troubling them, whatever their encouragements that they need, whatever is happy in their hearts and joyful, Lord, that uh, uh, you're with them in all those things. Uh, so they know that they don't walk alone. Um, and, and Lord, let them know that they don't walk alone because Lisa and I are here. We're always here for them. And uh, we thank you for their friendship. We thank you for, uh, I thank you, this, their sisters in Christ with me. So, Lord, let you uh, uh, bless what happens tonight. Uh, maybe your words through my mouth, and may whoever needs to hear the message, it may hit them in such a way that the Holy Spirit just hits them with the holy two by four. And they get it, and, uh, um, and it makes a powerful impact on their lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, John 4, the Samaritan woman. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little of the scripture, and I'm going to go through it and kind of tell you what God's put on my heart, because I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. Um, so I'll set up the scene here. Jesus uh, has been baptizing, and the Pharisees have heard he's been baptizing, but it was actually his disciples doing it. And you know, the Pharisees are after him, the religious leaders. And so he decides to take a walk like he always does, right? So it says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, so more people are coming to him than John the Baptist, um, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Okay? So he, uh, and as he passed through, he went through Samaria. So you're looking at um, Judea, Samaria, Galilee. He's heading this way. Problem is, Jews don't go into Samaria. Samaria is a place where they're not really Jewish. They're kind of a hybrid. They've intermarried over the centuries. Um, they believe in the first five books of the what would be the law back then, the, 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 what we call the Pentateuch, the Torah. But they don't believe in all the rest of it like the Jews do. They don't worship in Jerusalem. They worship on a different mountain. Uh, so the Jews don't see them as God's chosen people. They see them as kind of hybrids. And so they don't even walk into their territory. They will walk around Samaria to get back to Judea or Galilee. So when Jesus says that he walked through through Samaria as a rabbi, that's you don't do that. And so that's the first part of this, this scripture. You go, wait a minute, what's he doing? Because everything Jesus did, he did with a purpose, right? So it says here, so he came to a town called in Samaria called Sychar. It was near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there. So this is important too. So it's not like this place isn't Jewish. Jacob, you know, uh, one of the patriarchs, had done a well there. And he had given that land to his son Joseph. And if you remember Joseph, he was the guy that his brother sold into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt. He ends up the number two guy in Egypt. And he saves all the world during the, during the drought. All right? And so this, this place he's at has very much Jewish roots. So um, Jesus was wearied as he was from his journey. And he was sitting next to this Jacob's well. 
it was about the sixth hour, which in, in uh, that time was about noon, high noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said, give me a drink. Now, there's something really interesting about this. You don't, women don't come to the well at noon. They come toward dusk because it's really, really, really hot in Samaria at noon. And she came alone. She didn't come with all the other women. So you got to ask yourself the question, what's she doing there? Women don't go to the well at noon. And so she says to Jesus, uh, um, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Why are you even talking to me? One, you're Jewish, male, you wouldn't talk to a Samaritan woman. You just wouldn't do it because of that culture. And now you're even asking me for something, and you're asking, as a Jew, you're asking a Samaritan for something? It, I mean, it's completely upside down. But isn't that way God works? Doesn't he turn everything upside down? I love it. He says, uh, oh, where am I? Ah! Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's fascinating here. Jesus is revealing himself, not to the religious leaders, not to the chief priest, not even to his own disciples yet, to a Samaritan woman. And she's confused. <laughs> she says, Sir, I have no, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she's saying, we, we, this is our well, the Jacob well. We are the people of Jacob. You don't have a right to that because you're a Jew and you think it's only yours, but it's ours. So she's kind of pushing back against Jesus in this, this idea of, of Jews versus Samaritans a little bit. Um, and he says to her, uh, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of the well from Jacob's going to thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, of water, welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Of course she doesn't want to come draw water. It's very embarrassing for her to be alone at noon, and we'll find out why here in a minute, to, to have to do this. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and, to, and come here. And he's testing her, right? Jesus knows everything. The woman said, I, said I, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So he's like, hey, thanks for being honest. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And so he's changing the subject. <laughs> now let's not talk about this husband thing. We worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, uh, that's the place that people ought to worship. So she's trying to say, you know, we worship, we got Jacob's well, but we worship on this mountain, but you guys say that you can only worship in Jerusalem at the temple. And so she's, she's trying to push back on this religious thing again. And Jesus really doesn't buy it, but he, he's nice. He says, well, women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. She must be just baffled by this guy. He, she must be looking at him going, are you nuts? Right? Because this guy comes out of nowhere, Jewish. She doesn't know he's a rabbi yet, um, unless he's wearing the rabbinical clothing, which I doubt Jesus did. And, and he's having this dialogue with her about living water, and, and uh, there's going to come a time when you're not worshiping on the mountain, we're not worshiping in Jerusalem. And What are you talking about? And it gets better. Because <laughs> he says, uh, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. He just revealed to himself to be the Messiah to a Samaritan woman in a place Jews never go, not to a male, not to the chief priest, not to the religious leaders, not to his disciples or friends, to a Samaritan woman at a well because she's there because she's an absolute outcast in her community. She's been married five times, right? Well, in that culture, men could divorce a woman for just about anything. You, you burnt my pancakes. You're out of here, right? Five men had thrown her out already. She was so lowly considered in her own culture that she could not go with the other women to collect water at the well. She had to go by herself at noon at the height when no one else was there because she had no friends apparently. She had nobody to, to, to engage with. She was an absolute social outcast. Yet Jesus went to her first to reveal himself to the social outcast. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, I said my pastor was preaching on this a couple weeks ago. I was thinking to ask y'all the question, have you ever been a social outcast? Have you been the Samaritan woman? You know, at one point, um, there's a scene where, where Jesus is eating, or Jesus is healing, excuse me, and, and this, this woman wants to be healed, and she's a Samaritan. And he makes this really odd comment. And he says, you, you know, you don't give the dogs the, the good stuff from the table. And he was saying, from a religious perspective, only Jews get this. I came from the Jews. I don't came from the Samaritans. I came from the Jews. I can't, you know, I'm not going to give you the good stuff yet. Mary, at the end, he says, you're going to go out, disciples, and make disciples where? Judea, Samaria, and all the world. So you're going to go. But now's not the time. And the woman says, but even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. And he says to her, your faith is incredible, right? And that's a weird thing. But there was such a, a disconnect between Jews and Samaritans. It was really race and blood and, and as, as bad as racism you see anywhere. Yet Jesus reveals himself to the most outcast person within the Samaritan community <laughs> that he could find. He reveals himself as Messiah first time. That blows my mind. Because if you've been an outcast, if you've been a round peg, square hole, if you've been the person that doesn't fit, I've been that. I'm, well, I'm still that. You know that Jesus is coming for you. Because that's who Jesus comes for. He, doesn't, he didn't come to the religious leaders. He, he didn't come to the learned. He didn't come to... Um, all the, 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 the people that would be the people that you would think he would go to. He came to the leper. He came to the blind, the lame, the Samaritan woman, fisherman, uneducated. 
He came to people who needed him. But he came to people who knew they needed him. <laughs> See, the folks that are in the elites, they don't think they need Jesus. They think they got it made, right? They're smart, they're educated, they got money. Got a house to live in, everything's good. But the people that struggle, the outcasts, the ones that are marginalized, the people that, that you know, just have hard stories, they're the ones that know they need Jesus. And what's funny for me is I do, I do a lot of preaching. I've been doing a lot of preaching for years. And I find that I so much enjoy meeting hurting people than rather than meeting, um, I want to be careful here, but the holier-than-thou types. Because there's an honesty that we share in this room about our condition, right? I need Jesus every single moment of every single day because I am broken. And I look in the mirror and I understand that brokenness and I know what Jesus does for me and how he transforms me and changes me and I'm not even close to done yet. And when I look out at this group, and I've been preaching to you guys for a long time, I see the same desire. Some of you don't know it yet, but you'll get there. Some of you know it very much so. And what's fun for Lisa and I is we watch you grow because we get to see you over the years. And we watch you change and we watch you transform. See, the difference between, between what Jesus is talking here is, yeah, you're a Samaritan woman, but you're going to be transformed by having living water, eternal life. You're not going to just be drinking water, water. You're going to be drinking eternal life. And that's going to transform you. And what's funny about the story, it goes on, okay? So she, uh, she goes on and she runs back and tells everyone, this guy knew everything about me. It's crazy. And people come out. They got to see this. Okay, this is amazing. When I go to places, I'm the social outcast. And I say, you got to see this. Everyone ignores me, right? Why would they listen to me? But she was so transformed in her meeting with Jesus in that well experience that there was something different about her when she went back to town. And they're like, there's got to be something going on here. And that story goes on and says that, that they were amazed by Jesus. and they, they, First they heard the story, but then they believed because they talked to him and they asked him to stay and it says, Jesus stayed in Samaria, Samaria for two days. A Jewish rabbi stayed in Samaria for two days. That is unheard of. You wouldn't do that. And this is why the Pharisees get mad at him. He does things that are unseemly. You don't touch lepers. You don't raise the dead. You don't, you, you don't deal with Samaritans. You know, we're Jews. God gave us the word. And we get to interpret it. And we've said that these are the 660, 613 rules you got to live by. And, you know, we're the ones. And there was an, an almost an arrogance to it, a pride that went along with that. And Jesus says, y'all wrong. Jesus loves everybody. And to prove it, he came and he said, I don't, I'm not coming for the righteous. I'm coming for the sick. The, the righteous, the, you know, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. And if you read scripture and you read what Jesus did, the compassion he had were on us in this room. Except Lisa, she's perfect. He took the broken 
those of us that have been broken physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And we didn't reach out to him first. He reached out to us. And he said, no, you're mine. I got you. Now, sometimes he did it like he did the woman at the well, right? He spoke in these weird parables kind of things. If you give me some water, I'll give you eternal water. What are you talking about? Right? Sometimes, if you ever have those Jesus moments where he's talking to you and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you read some scripture and you're like, you got me. Right? But later on, it comes to you and you're like, oh, man, the epiphany, the bang, oh, geez. Right? Sometimes Jesus will speak to you through another person. Sometimes Jesus will speak to you through a dream. Sometimes Jesus will speak to you through an experience. But he's always speaking. And that's really the, the, the trick about understanding him. He said, no one will snatch you from his hand, right? He's always talking to you. He's always wanting to be with you. He always wants to be that living water in your life during your ups and downs, around and rounds, right? And that's why when he says you got to worship in spirit and truth, what he's saying is you got to know what the truth is. The truth is not this world. This, this world's the matrix. A lot of people are plugged in. Those of us that are in the faith are kind of unplugged. Good thing we didn't have to shave our heads, though. That's good. Anybody see the Matrix? You're all not getting the Matrix reference. Gosh darn it. Okay, we're going to have to have a movie night, apparently. <laughs> we look around this world, and we go, this, this isn't right. You ever feel that disconnect, this holy discontent with what's going on in the world? That's because this world's not our home. Jesus is our home. The many mansions, there's many rooms in a mansion for you. Heaven's our home. We're citizens of heaven. We're just passing through. And if we're just passing through, you go, what's the purpose? I mean, for the Samaritan one, what's the purpose of having this, this, this living water? What did she do? She went back and told her townspeople, and they came to believe in Jesus. It's like the story of Decapolis. Jesus and the guy show up on uh, Gennesaret, and there's a guy that's chained up, and he's like, ah, going crazy, right? He's cutting himself and all sorts of things, and he's demon-possessed. And this is the one where Jesus says, well, who are you? And they say, we are legion because we are many, blah, blah, blah. And they put him into pigs, and pigs jump off the cliff. Uh, great story. Um, the guy from Decapolis, when he was healed, wanted to go with Jesus, right? And Jesus says, no, you got to stay here. But what people forget is Jesus returned to Decapolis. When he left, they kicked him out. They said, you killed all our pigs, thanks, and uh, you scare us, so get out of here. He came back, and everyone greeted him and wanted them to heal. That one man at Decapolis, the outcast, the one they chained up because he was demon-possessed. Who knows, man? He's just mentally ill. He went back and told about Jesus. Did he have theology? You sit down and say, well, let me tell you about the Trinity. Yeah, he had a story. I can't tell you anything. All I know is this Jesus guy did this. And they believed. And so when Jesus came back, this whole group, and you know, Tecapolis means ten cities. Ten cities of people came to him. Believing. So what's the purpose of being the outcast? Well, I, from my reading, I don't know. I, I read about the Samaritan woman. The outcast is actually the person God uses throughout scripture over and over and over again. The person who struggles, the person who's up and down, the last person you expect. Jonah was a prophet, right? He's the one who got sucked up by the whale. 
You know, he ran from God, didn't want to do God's will. <laughs> Even when he did it, he was still complaining to God about having to do it. Um, but of all the prophets, Jonah's the only one who was successful. The guy that whined and moaned the entire time about having to do it, the Ninevites actually turned from their wicked ways and turned to God, and God's wrath was satiated because they turned, because the prophet convinced them. Even though it was the last thing he wanted to do. So when I read scripture, I look, I look at these things and go, hmm, where does a knucklehead like me fit in? You know, when I first started getting in the ministry after, you know, God called, I felt really awkward because I am not like the church people. Um, I was out of the church for 25 years because I was not like the church people. And I don't feel like, I, to this day, I don't feel like I fit in really well. I was, I was worship leading one time and I was reading some scripture and I was reading about David, I don't know, something out of Samuel. And God spoke to me right there while I was in the pulpit. And he says, if I can use David, Tom, I can use you. And I'm like, because David wasn't a good guy. I'm like, well, yeah, David's kind of a schmuck. I'm like, wow, you can use David, you could use me. And then I started to see in scripture all of the people that were the misfits. The land of misfit toys, I call them. Right? Well, I'm, I'm from the land of misfit toys. I don't fit in. I'm not normal. I'm the first one to say it. But God uses me powerfully. Because that's what he does. He reverses how things work. He says, I'm going to shame the wise by using the foolish. Right? Well, I'm pretty foolish. And so uh, I get used a lot. So my message tonight about the Samaritan woman really is, if you're ever feeling like the Samaritan woman, like you're the outcast, like you're the one that, that doesn't fit in, like everyone kind of marginalizes you, and, and it could be your family, it could be your old friends, it could be work, it could be you know even here. If you're feeling like you're on the outside looking in, don't pine for the inside, because that's not where God... That's not what God's got for you. Because everyone in this, in this Bible, if you really look at it, the ones that God used were the outcasts. Even Paul had to become an outcast before God would use him, right? Paul was this religious leader. He was going to go kill Christians. Hey, I'm Paul. And uh, God went whack and humbled him and blinded him. And, and then Paul had to become nothing. And it's the greatest line, I think, in Scripture when Ananias says, hey, God, this Paul guy is trying to kill us. Why do you want him in my house? God says, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. I love that. He's like, I'm going to humble this guy like you cannot believe. And he will become the least of these. And then he will be useful. Once he's marginalized, once he's one of us, he'll be useful. So I like to tell groups like this, because I have a couple of groups like this I preach to. You are the most powerful witness for Christ on earth right now. Not me. Not all the churches. Not the pastors. Not the deacons. Not the elders. You. Because you're real. And your stories are real. And your experiences with Jesus are real. And by real, I don't mean, you know, oh my God, Jesus healed me. Woo! I mean, it's like I've had ups and downs and rounds, but God's never left me. And I've done stupid things. And, and I fought with him. And I wrestled with him. And sometimes I've not believed. And he's never left my side. And I don't understand all the stuff in this book. And you don't, I don't need to. I just know Jesus is there. 
And I'll finish by telling you how I know this. The guy on the cross at the end, remember Jesus being crucified? There's, a, there's two criminals there. One of them, they're, they're both mocking him, and the other guy's like, oh, wait a minute, shut up. This guy, this guy is, is being charged with something. He's not guilty. We're guilty. We deserve to be up here. This guy doesn't. Then he turns to Jesus and says, don't forget me when you come into your kingdom, right? And Jesus says, today you'll be in paradise with me, which was third heaven. Right? Did that guy say the sinner's prayer? That guy go to church? Did he join the choir? Was he on a church board? Did he know the Torah? Probably not. What was the requirement? To believe. To believe. That was it. God will do the rest. But I want you to think of yourselves proudly as the land of misfit toys. Because my understanding of scripture is we are powerful tools in God's hands. It takes a lot of people to make the church, right? It takes the pastors, it takes the deacons, it takes all those people, it takes the missionaries and the people that have grown up in the church, it takes all that. But without us, there's a huge slice of the kingdom that doesn't get ministered to. And the woman at the well is a great story because she's the first one Jesus reveals himself to when he shouldn't have even been there. But he purposed to go to a place where there was a misfit, even within a marginalized place, and said, I am he. And I hope that in your life, he's come to you in your time and said, I have, I have living water for you because I am he. Because now, what did she do? She shouted Jesus' name from the rooftop. And that's my expectation for you. I expect you on this roof in about 10 minutes, shouting Jesus' name all over Kaiser. Let's get it done. Right? I'll, I'll give you a boost. <laughs> You'll find a way. So have, have, have faith, have encouragement, have hope, even in your down moments, because Jesus ain't done with you. As a matter of fact, he's just starting. And he's just getting you to a place where he will be able to partner with you in powerful ways. But you got to be willing to do it. Remember the Samaritan woman tried to push him off at first with all these religious things. And he's like, well, you can talk about that, but I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you. Well, the Messiah will tell us everything. Well, I am he. So let's have that conversation. And that's what he's doing in your lives. He's knocking on your heart saying, I am he. Let's have that conversation. Amen. Amen. All right. It's good seeing you guys again. So get on that road.